0: There's Always a FinReg Angle, the podcast providing you with the latest news
1: and commentary on financial regulation. Brought to you by Global Custodian. Hello and welcome to the second episode of season three of There's Always a FinReg Angle. I'm John Watkins, editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually as always by a pair of FinReg experts, Sean Tuffy and Virginia O'Shea, and a new guest on the show, Today, Chris Lemonan, new deputy editor at GC. Hello, everyone, and hello, Chris. Welcome to the show.
0: Hello, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to
1: join you guys. Good, and Chris, I know you've 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 listened to the entire backlog of. uh, There's always a (laughs) FinReg angle. Uh, We need to know what's what's your favourite area of FinReg discussion. (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, I would say, despite only joining the industry less than a fortnight ago. I would have to say that Bitcoin ETF applications with the SEC have really caught my eye. I <laughs> hear you guys
1: are big fans.
2: God, not again.
1: <laughs> I was going to say fit right in, but uh, yeah, I think we agreed uh, that we banned the topic for season three, didn't we? But uh, <laughs> lovely answer, Chris. Why don't you um, just just tell us a bit about yourself quickly, and then uh, and then give us a little bit of some highlights of what's coming up on the show today?
0: Yeah, well. Um, I joined the B2B publishing space pretty much uh, as soon as I left university. Uh, at my first job, I worked on two titles. One was fintech related, but was more on like, the retail banking side of things, payments and stuff like that. And the other one was uh, a retail technology title. Um, and then after that, I joined a company called Global Data, where I worked for, I think, over three years in the end on a publication called Motor Finance. Uh, which covered all things finance and leasing in the UK market. So probably equally as niche as the custody banking world. (laughs) (laughs) This is also my first ever appearance on a podcast, so I suppose that's quite exciting too. And yeah, so coming up on the show today, um, we'll be discussing the introduction of the settlement discipline regime on the 1st of February and Esma's latest settlement fails data. In addition to that, we'll be talking about the SEC's proposed changes to form PF, reporting requirements for hedge fund and private equity managers. So we'll get Virginie and Sean's take on that and what it means for the industry. And finally, Virginie is going to talk to us about subtech and how to properly pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> I struggled a bit
1: myself there. Yeah, I think that's right, isn't it, Virginie? Subtech. We're going to get into it.
2: Subtech. Well, yes, not SUPTECH. Subtech. sub-tech. sub-tech.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. I, and on, on pronunciation, I think Chris did okay with uh, your name as well, Virginia. There,
2: just about. I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm next time. Sure, well yeah, done. I'm sure there's there's been worse attempts, absolutely. But um, yeah, Sean Virginia, Um Yeah, welcome welcome back to the show, uh, episode two of this season. Uh, Virginie, how are you?
2: I'm all right, aside from doom scrolling with all of the news going on in Europe. But um, somewhat somber, somber sort of times at the moment. But uh, other than that, not too bad. Strange
1: day today. Uh, Sean, how are you? Yeah, similar. Uh, strange days for sure,
3: but generally um, on a more positive note, as I think we talked about last time, so Ireland emerging from the two years of COVID lockdowns has been good for the, the city's soul. So that, things are a little a little more positive on the local front.
1: Good, good. It's, uh now it just depends what you're actually emerging into, I guess, um, <laughs> given what's going on. But uh, yeah, great to hear. And uh, look, let's, let's kick things off. I mean, Chris gave us a good outline of the show. I actually thought we'd bump SDR down to the second talking point because so I think it uh, it dominated last last episode's conversation. Why don't we talk about the uh, the SEC, which um, yeah, you know, I saw this made the top of Sean's latest City FinReg newsletter. So. Obviously, the SEC, SEC is seeking to up its disclosure rules for private equity and hedge funds in a bid for greater fee and performance transparency. And to quote the FT, because we're still compiling our larger feature on this, the proposals will also require buyout firms selling assets from one fund to another to receive an independent financial appraisal. Sean, sure, this seemed like a really big deal, especially obviously for hedge funds and private equity firms. Was it expected and what could they be subject to under these new requirements?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is a big deal, um, and, but I think it was – the extent of it probably was
1: not expected,
3: but um, Gary Gensler, since taking over the SEC, has been pretty clear um, in his public statements last year that sort of bringing more transparency to private markets was one of his key objectives. So, I mean, you, no one should have been totally surprised um, that he's made it and sort of had the SEC take this step, and I think people will debate um, – <clears throat> some of the the points around it in terms of the fee disclosure or the sort of independent valuation points. And I think one of the biggest sticking points in the industry is this int- introduction of sort of a current reporting requirement um, for key developments for private equity or hedge funds um, that needs to be done within a day or so uh, of when the events occur. Um, and sort of one of the, so I would say existential questions is how this information will be used by the SEC. Because Form PF, uh, which is the, the regulatory reporting being amended, was introduced by Dodd-Frank, it, and it was really around financial stability to make sure um, the SEC and other regulators had enough information to understand what was happening in markets. Um, some of the, the new disclosures sort of go a little away from pure sort of market oversight. Um, so I think there's some concern about what the SEC will use that information for. But I think sort of the march towards more transparent markets is going to be sort of hard to stop. So it'll be interesting to see where we end up. I suspect there'll be a raft of comments um, sent into the SEC for them to uh, have to work through. But the makeup of the, the SEC at the moment, sort of the, the commissioner level favors the um, Beaver's Gensler getting stuff through um,
1: it, it, it's, it's more democratic than Republican um, so it should be interesting to see what happens yeah I, you mentioned you're gonna get a lot of comments I, again it's it's been another short comment window I think we had this with the securities finance uh, rules but but 30 days is that enough uh, time for everyone to, to get their thoughts together and get their opinions in sure
3: I I don't think so I mean I think it's I think it's an interesting tactic that they've been, the the SC adopted recently and to be fair, um to the current makeup of the sec in the in the waning years the, the trump administration the sec was known for sort of short comment periods too it's just been but I, I don't think it's um conducted to sort of real industry engagement and i think a lot of people would like to see the, the longer periods brought back because these are substantive changes i mean these aren't sort
1: of minor tweaks to um things uh virginia yeah this is Gensler really going after uh the, the private markets isn't it um is this because of the yeah, it's an interesting time because there's a wave of investment into these alternative assets, but maybe that's why uh, this this has triggered this move.
2: I mean, it's interesting to see the the impact of this. I think even VC is going to be brought into it. I think there's there's sort of uh, there's a lot of hesitancy around the impact on the US market here, um, as to the burden. I, I know this is what I've, I've been hearing from. From f- from funds and, and uh, some of my contacts, um, that are really concerned about the overreach into into various various areas of private markets, and um, obviously the US is is one of the world leaders in venture capital. And what does this if if it, if VC is in 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 scope, um, does this overly burden some of the smaller firms that are out there? Um, likewise with the the you know the the private firms. Um, what do smaller funds do in this this instance? I think sort of the the quarterly reporting is relatively burdensome, especially if you don't have on staff legal counsel. So the actual cost of it could be prohibitive. Um, So, I mean, generally, I'm usually in favour of transparency, but you do have to have sort of some view to the negative impacts that some of this stuff is going to have on smaller firms. And do you have um, thresholds and tolerances for the size of the firms uh, that are set in a reasonable manner? I expect there'll be pushback there.
3: Yeah, I mean that's a big part of it, for sure. With all, anytime you get new regulation um, and regulatory reporting in particular, there's always a concern that the burden disproportionately on smaller firms. And I think that's, you know, well, it sounds like a talking point. I think that's a very legitimate um, issue that we've seen borne out over the last 10 years, new reportings come in. So I think that's something that is sort of a, a valid concern of the industry.
2: Exactly. You don't want to drive out competition in the market. You don't want to concentrate it in the hands of smaller providers because, again, that's not what the regulator wants, right?
1: Right. Excellent. Well, yeah, thanks for that. And uh, like I said, Global Crusadium, we're doing a, a deep dive feature, which is going to be coming out in the uh, in the next few weeks. But one thing we have definitely written about is uh, the settlement discipline regime. And, and we've certainly talked about it on this podcast. In fact, it may be moving into Bitcoin ETF territory soon <laughs> with our listeners. But uh, look, after many years of discussion, delays and back and forth over what would go live on 1st of February, the the settlement discipline regime did bring in penalties for failed trades and and reporting requirements. Uh, So Virginia, you know, we're nearly a a month in. What have you been hearing about the opening few weeks of uh, this regulation? (laughs)
2: <laughs> Nothing good. Um, I'd say in in terms of impact, we I, I think we'll have a few months um, before we see the full impact on firms, to be perfectly honest, and, and the full response of the industry. Um, the sort of, one of the most immediate impacts or sort of discussion points has been from the securities financing space. And they've had to adapt new market practices to take into account sort of timeframes and things, because there was a sort of a big gap in terms of... Um, planning uh, from that front and I think there was a lot of of concern industry side about certain things not being in place we don't have a single data feed um, to be able to calculate penalties for example across all of the different CSDs so, especially the non T two CSDs. So, um, we've seen uh, some of the industry associations step in, try to help out. There, um, ICMA and Isla and all of and the like um, have had to help uh, the industry draw up some guidelines and and work towards those to to help penalties um, be sort of properly addressed uh, post penalty being meted out. So, I, I think there's a lot of different moving parts to it still and we'll we'll see given that the esma statistics that came out um i want to say in the last trv which was last week i think yeah. um because you wrote a story on it mm-hmm. didn't you john yes. um they were worrying uh, from the perspective of esma and i actually sat in uh, listened in i should say um on an esma um, briefing on the trv uh, earlier this week, and I was—they <laughs> actually opened themselves up to be questioned by everybody. So I was firing questions at them about uh, what they thought was the underlying cause of the fails. And so there's there's a rise in fails across different asset classes. And their honest response was, "Well, there's higher trading volumes, but we don't know, so we're looking into it." So um, that's that's kind of where they're at at the moment. But they did admit that they've got sort of several working groups looking at it. It's something they're taking very very seriously there was sort of emphasis on that so I expect um, this will be playing right into CSDR2 as as we're going forward.
1: Yeah I mean it's higher trading volumes but they're still reporting the the percentage after all so um, Sean uh, yeah what what about uh, you you hearing things um, you know uh, consistent with what Virginia was saying there over the first 24 days? Yeah absolutely
3: I mean I think I would say it's gone as well as one could have expected, which is neither a ringing endorsement or, or a condemnation. It's just sort of it was it was always going to be a bumpy landing. So I, I totally agree that's going to take a, a little while to sort of sort out, um, sort everything out, and get it to a, to a better place. But I think it's one of those things. You know, we talked we've talked about it for nearly two years now, and it sort of it was never going to be the perfect time to bring it in. So I think it's honestly. I think it sort of the policymakers decided just to bite the bull and have, bar the mandatory buy ins, everything come in and just sort of deal with it uh, in real time rather than wait for the perfect um, landing spot, which is an approach. Um, but I totally think it's going to take some while, a while to figure it all out.
1: Well, if we've been talking about it for two years on this uh, podcast, at least we're we're popular enough to have been going that long. So yeah, that's that's good to hear. And, yeah, that's good, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, Virginia, great to hear that you're uh, you know really uh, sending some hard hidden questions to to Esma on these uh, these calls.
2: Well, someone needs to ask the questions. I think there was they were sat there and they went, "Does anyone have any questions?" And there was tumbleweed because <laughs> most people don't like asking direct questions of regulators. I think so. Um, I had quite a few questions. In fact, I was asking them about DORA, the Explorer as well, so um, an and international corporation there. And they, and they sort of said that they have been speaking to the SEC. This is just as an aside uh, about uh, the, the DORA stuff um, in terms of resilience and cybersecurity, but they need to get better at it um, in terms of harmonisation. So that was another tidbit I picked up during the, the half hour session.
1: Very good. Well, uh, speaking of regulators, um, Virginia, you, you wrote a wonderful piece for for Global Custodian last week or, or this week uh, on subtech or suptech or uh, whatever whatever it's called. But could you tell us about this and, and why people should be att- paying attention to this trend? And, and then again, also how it's pronounced.
2: Yes, uh, I mean, well, subtech, I think, is something that people, I hate the, the concatenation of it, and I, I don't know that it shouldn't be called reg tech because it's being used by regulators. I still don't understand that. But um, I'd say what, pe- what people are using in within financial institutions should be called compliance tech but um, rather than reg tech. But uh, in terms of subtech itself, um, essentially, it's an, a fast-evolving area with very grey area, I would say, in terms of, of what parameters are around it. But it's essentially how regulators are using technology internally or not, as the case may be, um, to help them uh, police the industry, uh, conduct their oversight uh, responsibilities, and the like. So. It can mean anything because <laughs> uh, I sat and listened to this FCA um, discussion. It was the head of um, the F- FCA's innovation unit and team, um, including lots of technologists, uh, talking about some of the things that they'd been doing um, to try and get to grips with uh, using fintech for um, for good in their eyes, and to be able to better understand the data they're receiving, um, to better you know interpret things that they've produced themselves. So they, they have a, a piece of uh, subtech uh, that helps them use their own handbook, for example, because it, they they acknowledge it's un- unwieldy <laughs> um, and it could be better um, addressed. So certainly that, that that's one piece of uh, subtech that they've uh, they've developed or felt they've needed to using uh, various uh, data analytics tools and things, but they've got lots of building going on, which is really, really interesting. I think it's an odd choice to, to build everything from scratch, but um, maybe they like to feel like they can get to grips with the tech if they're, they're using it or building it rather than trying to work with only with vendors.
1: Yeah, great. Sean, what do you reckon about all this? Well, I
3: mean, it's I suppose It's interesting, and I totally agree that everything's misnamed, but it's totally, it's, I totally, it's interesting. And I think it makes a lot of sense that regulators would want to leverage this technology to sort of better supervise. So I think that's, um, for an industry that's producing a ton of information into the regulator, it's somewhat heartening to find out that they're looking to use tools to actually analyze this data rather than sort of, as I used to joke, just filing away kind of like the end of Indiana Jones, um, you know, putting in this huge warehouse never to be looked at again. So I think, it, I think it's sort of if they're developing tools to look at information. It makes the reporting more purposeful, I suppose. So I think it's generally a good development.
2: I was just going to say, it's very early days as well. I, I think only a handful of regulators are really getting to grips with tech. So um, maybe the FCA has made some progress and, and, and a few others, and maybe mass in, in Singapore, but... Um, and and they're going to be partnering more with vendors as well in future they said but I, I certainly think it's very early days and, and it will be interesting to see whether they make some of the things they've built publicly available will will firms be able to use them to their own advantage as well um, I'd like to see that if they've built something that's useful as a tool especially if it's navigating a handbook or something that would be good for for the industry as a whole
3: yeah though we I mean, need to be further billable hours of the lawyers go way down if you can navigate those handbooks with a
2: exactly fewer fewer lawyers with ferraris yet. <laughs> yeah.
1: brilliant well look um that that's everything we had scheduled i mean uh sean just uh you know dipping into your your newsletter i saw that uh there was a note about kind of Esma wanting more information about uh fund valuations is, is that a uh a, an update we could talk about quickly or is it a, a whole other section for another show do you think
3: no i think we can do it uh
1: <laughs> Squeeze it in forty-five <laughs> seconds or less. No, yeah,
3: I mean, I think it's part of the ongoing post-mortem uh, of COVID and fund liquidity, which has been a concern for regulators forever. um So this year, ESMA is just focusing on valuation practices for both A, F, and D and UCITS funds um, to see how essentially the rules are applied across the various member states. Um, is one of ESMA's goals for the coming decade is to sort of more harmonization. So I think it's an interesting topic. What it will mean practically is a lot of local regulators asking funds and asset managers for data around their valuation practices. Um, so it's something to sort of keep an eye on. Um, but that will probably only likely result in sort of guidance statements, nothing sort of to overhaul um, the system. But I think it's just indicative of the sort of work as is looking to do at a, at a more macro level.
1: Excellent. Well, look, I can uh, absolutely feel uh, producer Kai tapping his virtual watch at me. I'm trying to keep this under 20 minutes or so. So um, we'll we'll wrap things up there. And uh, Sean, just to to finish off, uh, where can we find your work?
3: Yeah, as always, please uh, check out Securities Services Insights on uh,
1: cityicg.com. Excellent. And Virginia, uh, what's keeping you busy at the moment?
2: Many, many things. I'm still working on uh, profiling all of the vendors in the trade and transaction reporting um, arena. So if you work in that space and you're a vendor, I haven't spoken to you yet. Please drop me a line. <laughs> that's a quick, quick plea. Um, but yes, uh, and, and you can check out some of my recent research because I've just put something up on T plus one as well. Oh. So uh, that's on www com.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you both for your thoughts. And uh, Chris, great to have you on the show for the first time. And uh, welcome to the team.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm not too, um, not too versed on all the content, but it's been uh, very interesting and was nice to sit back and watch the Masters <laughs> at work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no bigger compliment than that. Well, uh, thanks again, uh, Sean, Virginie, and, and Chris for your, for your time today. And thank you all for listening.
2: You were listening to There's Always a Fimreg Angle podcast from Global Custodian. Stream on Google and Apple
1: Podcasts, Spotify, or catch up wherever you get your podcasts from.